0: of the word of God, if you're able, as I read Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-five through 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Keeley. Praise the Lord. Glad you're here, each and every one of you today. Our church has been reading the Bible together this year, and uh, right now we are uh, reading Ezekiel. We're getting towards the end of it, and each day we also pray a psalm together, and that's what uh, Rifle preached from last week, one of the psalms that we were reading. So it's a good combination of the Word of God and prayer of daily practice into our life. What I'm trying to do to encourage that is to preach from a portion of text that we are reading And um, so today, uh, as praying with the Lord, this text came up a couple of weeks ago in my heart, and it is from Ezekiel, as Keeley read it, chapter 36, verses 25 through 27. Ezekiel was a priest living in Jerusalem uh, during uh, the Babylonian attack on Jerusalem. So there was some time before it, then there were several sieges uh, from the Babylonians, attacks, and uh, they spared the city in some of the earlier sieges, but they took back captives. And Ezekiel was one of the earlier one, ones that was taken into captivity. So, a little bit of history on Ezekiel uh, chapter 1, verse 1. It's going to be a journey, right? We're starting in Ezekiel 1 1. Come with me. It says, In the 13th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, As I was among the exiles, so this is Ezekiel, he's among the exiles that have been taken uh, out and away from Jerusalem with some exiles, and he was by the Chebar Canal. It's a little river canal there, and the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. So he's, uh, where this is at is like modern-day Iraq, He's been carried into Babylon and where Baghdad is, and then there's another city down here, uh, about you know 450-some miles away. I think it's called al Basal today or something. Uh, the Chebal River right there is about halfway between that. So he's not really in uh, the heart of Babylon. Uh, he's not in any real major city. He's along this canal with a bunch of exiles, and he sees uh, these visions given by God to him, and you can read about all those in the first several chapters they have to do with god 's presence, leaving Jerusalem coming east to where he 's at in in the Babylonian country there, and so he knows that uh, god 's presence has left, and when god 's presence comes and leaves Jerusalem, uh, that means they will fall without God there, and so Jerusalem falls. Uh, And uh, everyone else has taken exile. It's one of the probably most, you know, uh, hard and horrific things that happened to Israel was this complete annihilation, this complete destruction of the temple. Everything that they worshipped, everything that they had in relationship to God was completely annihilated, just destroyed, killed. By Ezekiel warned of this through pestilence, uh, those that would stay there, pestilence and disease, those that were killed earlier through war, through the sword, all these things would happen, these just different sieges um, would all happen, and it did happen. And Jerusalem falls, and uh, Ezekiel, uh, his you know, harsh uh, uh, words of God's judgment coming upon Israel has happened. He's living at this time. We preached a little bit about Jeremiah, and Jeremiah, was they overlap Jeremiah and Ezekiel, during this time of sieges and the destruction of Jerusalem. The problem is, is that the people aren't listening. This is the issue that comes up. They don't listen. Uh, And God says that to the prophets. They're not going to listen to you. said it to Isaiah uh, several hundred years before that. said Jeremiah, says it to Ezekiel. They won't listen to you. And in Ezekiel 6, 9, uh, the problem is at the core of the listening of a heart. And so I titled this sermon, A New Heart. And that's what we'll venture into through this text today. And in Ezekiel 6-9, it says that this heart, um, God says through Ezekiel, he says, then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations where they are carried captive. Then you'll remember me. You're carried captive to these other nations. And he scatters them out. And most of these exiles go into Babylon. And he says, how I have been broken over their whoring heart. That's a strong language. But God's heart is hurt. God's heart is broken over the people of Israel, his people going after other gods, other idols. And he calls it a deep relationship. He uses this imagery all through the Scripture about the forsaking of his people uh, committing adultery with him uh, through worshiping of other idols. So he mentions this in Ezekiel 6, 9, their whoring heart has departed from me. And he talks about their eyes. He says, and over their eyes that go whoring after their idols, and they will be loathsome in their own sight for the evils that they have committed for all their abominations. So most of uh, Ezekiel here, you go through series of chapters of God uh, saying that judgment is coming and it's going to be just because of Israel's uh, gross iniquities, their abominations, how they've forsaken the Lord that become worse than the nations that he drove out for them. So this is um, a horrible, you know, sad situation that Ezekiel is uh, suffering along with the people. He has warned, uh, but he also is suffering along, and he is with the exiles and seeing these things. And, and and our hearts are no different today. I just want you to say, well, I can't relate to that. I can't relate to, uh, you know, worshiping of idols and what's that all about? But all of our hearts are darkened, uh, you know, without God. And and John chapter three nineteen, it says this about judgment and the judgment of God. Hear the word of the Lord from John three nineteen. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works or their deeds were evil. And so this is, a, is, a, this is a, uh, a revelation about all of us, that the light came in Jesus. Light came into the world. Light came at this time in exile through the prophets. They warned. They brought light. They warned with all their heart. Uh, about God's heart and about how the uh, uh, people were breaking it, but they would not listen. There was something wrong at the core of their heart and at the core of the human heart. Think of this, even in your heart, people love darkness. Love it. Have a phileo relationship with darkness. This is what the Bible says about humanity. A lot of people disagree with that. It's very uh, disagreeable uh, to the the world today that we have that Adam in us, that fall of Adam, that uh, corrupt uh, seed in us of Adam in all of humanity that has an innate, at the core of our heart, the center of our heart, a love. Of darkness, but this is the judgment that has come into the world. See, the judgment came too. God would not judge his people without the prophets first warning them for years and years and years and hundreds of years. And he told Ezekiel too, He said, You're the watchmen. You warn them and you warn them. They won't listen to you, they won't do it, but you warn them because if you don't warn them, their blood's going to be on your hands. Because you do what I say, you warn them. You warn them on this judgment. So the prophets did. Ezekiel was that white, He came in and he warned, and the, the judgment and the blood of the people wasn't on him because he told them truthfully and honestly what would happen. And it did. So all through these chapters, uh, 12 through 24, chapters of God's judgment on the idolatry of his people, he, the very first commandment. You, uh, a lot of people say you never break any of the other commandments without breaking the first commandment, to have no other gods before me. And they had other gods, all kinds of gods. On every high place, on every hill, on every mountain, in every green place, every beautiful place, they built altars to idols and false gods, and they sacrificed to them. They worship them. This broke God's heart. And yes, He was provoked to anger. The anger comes through being provoked over. He's slow to anger, but his anger will come if you continue uh, in your sin, because He loves you and he wants to turn you away from the sin. And he talks about the judgment on all of the big scale of, the, of really the world and the known world at that time. And Ezekiel 25 through 32 talks about the judgment on Egypt and Tyre and all the nations around, about how they dealt with Israel, about how they laughed when Israel fell, and about even Babylon, you know, how the, he's going to come back and judge them for what they did and how they treated um, Israel. But the judgment that he's going to bring upon them. It's a really interesting uh, chapters 25 through 32 on the judgment of the nations, but God comes to this point of the text, and He wants you to know that it 's not a hopeless situation; it looks pretty hopeless, it looks real bleak, and all those exiles along the, the the river, you know the canal there in the middle of nowhere, everything destroyed bleak. <sighs> And Ezekiel's there laying on his side for a whole year and then flipping on his other side and the prophecy this, building little stones, you know, and putting a little miniature Jerusalem on it and showing the destruction. And then i watch, it was like street drama. You know, Ezekiel had to live all that out and he's living it out amongst the people. And it doesn't look very hopeful. It looks God's judging, God's destroying through sword and pestilence and disease and famine and all these things. And it's like, and then God starts saying what he's going to do. And we we arrive at this text that we have today. I will sprinkle clean water on you. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to clean you from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse them out. It's powerful. He's like, I'm going to do something. I will. then he says, I will give you a new heart. And that's why I titled this. I think this is the the, the core of the problem is at our heart we love darkness. At our heart God's got to do a miraculous supernatural work or we will not follow him. He's got to do something powerful in the heart to bring about the change. Nothing has changed since that they left Egypt. The people have gone after the idols. He says that to Ezekiel Uh, that they've continued to go after these idols just like they did when they came out of Egypt. He got them out of Egypt, but now he has to get the Egypt out of his people. He has to change their heart. And so he says, I will give you a new heart. I will put my spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. It's like a new empowerment to do his will. This is the supernatural work of God about Christianity and about salvation and about the uniqueness of grace, of God's work in us. It takes God' supernatural work, not us working towards him, but his work in us. This is a beautiful uh, scripture from Ezekiel about what he will do. So we'll look at God's will, that God wills all these things, I will, in that sovereign act of God's grace to cleanse us from the idols in our heart, We'll look at that new heart. We'll look at that heart, how he makes it tender. Takes out stone, puts in a heart that can feel and be tender. And we will look at how God does that ultimately in the new covenant and through the grace of Jesus Christ and the cross. So I will. I will give you. You love a, a giving God, a God who who's, is a giver. God is a giver. He's generous. Everything we have is from God. Every breath. In Him we live and move and have our being. Everything comes from God. But he says, first, this very first thing that I will give you, that I will do for you, is I'll sprinkle you with clean water on you. It's good, isn't it? We need a washing. We need water to cleanse us. We need to be uh, cleansed from our, our 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 sin and cleansed from the guilt of our sin. We need to be cleansed. We need to be washed. I will cleanse you. I uh, thought of our little puppy, and our little puppy is still getting potty trained, and you know sometimes it kind of smells down there in Audrey's room and there's a little mat, and he's kind of learning when they don't get him out, he can go over there, and he hits it pretty good, and he's got his little area over there, but sometimes you walk in there, and it smells like a little puppy urine, so, you know, all you got to do is throw that stuff away. And uh, I actually did that this morning because I was kind of tired of doing it. And I said, okay, so his thing thing. Get the little mat out. Okay, now move it over. There's some of it leaked off the side. Okay, you guys, there's two right here in the utility room. There's two. Wash things. And water, it's amazing. It'll just cleanse things, you know. And so, uh, you know, let's get. There's some stains right here, you know, where he kind of missed the mat. And we moved that. And they got a little towel and got down there and just wiped up that corner. You know, cleaned it and I said, now come back in here, rinse it off, run the water through the towel, rinse it, rub your hands, squeeze it, squeeze it, tight, tin it, clean it, get back out here, clean it, and then put down a little fresh mat. I was like, right away, it smelled better. I was like, wow, okay, see that? All right. It's cleansing. It's amazing the power of cleansing, and it's amazing about the power of the cleansing water of God. That He desires to sprinkle you clean. And really what He wants to do is, is remove that <laughs> urine smell from you. He wants to remove the idols, the false idols in our heart that always go after other things for our satisfaction. And every time we do, it's like saying, God, you're not enough. And let me go my own way, and I will find satisfaction for myself. It's a lack of trust in God. It goes right back to the Garden of Eden. It goes right back to original sin. It goes right back to, I think, I think I can do it this way. God said to do it this way, and this is how we will flourish. This is how we will experience life. But I think... I can do it this way. I'll do what's right in my own eyes to satisfy myself. And that's when we sin and we err. And these are, these are idols in our heart. Other ways that we seek for satisfaction when only he alone, we sang about this this morning, only he alone can truly satisfy our hearts. Doing it his way. And God's bringing them back to that. You have to do it my way. All of this judgment and correction is to bring them back to himself to cleanse them from their idols so that they will be happy in God again, not serving these false gods who will abuse them, who will use them, who will lead them into slavery. A lot of us are old enough to have kids and have grandkids and to see them taken down different paths where you go, oh no, oh that's going to hurt. And it breaks our heart going their own way figuring out their own way, going through all of that as they uh, drift away from God and seek their own way. And this is the same thing with God. It broke his heart. He was broken over that. And he's bringing this judgment to bring them back to himself. But Ezekiel makes it clear. In Ezekiel 18.20, he said, The soul who sins shall die. We talked about that in our liturgy this morning in our service from James Uh, That sin brings forth death. It's conceived and then it brings forth death. That's what Ezekiel is saying. The soul who sins shall die. That is the sentence of sin. Sin brings death. And they had died. They had died by the sword. They had died by pestilence. They had died. And the ones that hadn't died were led into captivity, into slavery. Sin will always lead you into slavery, into captivity. You will always become a slave to sin. You might think, I'm not a slave. I can stop any time. But you can't unless He gives you a new heart. And that's where He goes to. He says, I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. I've got to do an inside work in you. I've got to give you a gift. Salvation is a gift. And apart from this grace of, the, of, of giving us a new heart and, and putting His spirit within us, making us newborn in Him, we cannot see the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus starts right with Nicodemus. You would think this guy knows it all, a teacher of Israel. He doesn't. He says the very first thing you've got to do is you've got to be born from above. You've got to be born from my spirit. You've got to get a new heart. You've got to be born again, Jesus. If you don't like that term, I don't know why you don't like that term, term born again. It's just, it's just in the Bible. That's what Jesus says. You must be born again. You can't get there, Nicodemus, unless you get a new heart. Like where would Nicodemus he told Nicodemus, he said, You're a teacher, you're a teacher of the people of Israel, and yet you don't know these things. Why was why was he supposed to know these things? He's supposed to know them from like right here, from Ezekiel saying it. You need to be born again. You need a new heart. You need your heart of stone taken out, and you need a heart of flesh, you need a heart that can be sensitive and understand and know your sinful condition, because you're hard hearted, you're stubborn, you're rebellious. That's what the prophets all came out and said. And they wouldn't listen. Nicodemus seems to kind of listen. He's hearing out. He's coming at night. Not super bold with it, but he wants to hear Jesus out. He wants to hear his message. And his message is the gospel, and it's the gospel of grace. And it says you must be born again. And you should know these things, Nicodemus. You should know them. Uh, from Ezekiel 36, 26, you, you're gonna need, you need a whole new heart, man. You need, you need a work of grace inside of you. You can't just perform all these outward things and go through all these outward motions, Nicodemus. You need to be born anew inside. Because that rebellious, stubborn heart, that love of darkness is still there in you, Nicodemus. You need this supernatural work of grace. And Nicodemus goes, what you talking about? What do you mean? You know what I mean? He doesn't get it, and neither does the world get it. And it's only an act of grace that we get it, and hopefully you sitting here have gotten it. It's an act of God's grace. And the way the NLT says this, and I really like that version. They do a lot of kids' versions in the NLT. And uh, it says this, And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender heart responsive heart. It's just breaking it down and amplifying what God is trying to say here that I'll take your heart of stone out. Stubborn heart. That's what Ezekiel said they had over and over again. He said they had a rebellious heart. Uh, Ezekiel 20 uh, verse 8, but they rebelled against me and they were not willing. This is actually the people that came out of Egypt. He says this is an ongoing problem talks about the people that he brought out of Egypt. He said, they rebelled against me and they were not willing to listen to me. Neither are they now. He says, none of them cast away the detestable things from their eyes but that they feasted on. They feasted on these detestable things. Nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. They didn't do it now and you guys aren't doing it now with these nations. You're serving their gods, their idols. And we have this judgment that Jesus talks about? Is it giving them a new heart? Because a lot of people read in the end in Matthew 25 that there's this separation from sheep and goats. How many of you read that? In the the end, there's this separation between sheep and goats in Matthew 25. Um, And so what does Jesus do there? This is verses 31 through 46. And it looks like he takes You know, sheep on one side, goats on his other side. He tells the the goats that they did not do these things and and to the sheep they did do these things. And it seems like it's a things oriented thing. Like when you get to the end of it, it's like one group actually loved other people, and one group didn't. They actually sacrificially loved the sheep did and the goats didn't. The goats did not do this list. It can be any list, but in this case, it was visiting the sick, clothing the naked, feeding the hungry, giving water to the thirsty, visiting those uh, in prison. It li- it list is a list. And at the end, you can get to the end of that and say, so the people that are going to have eternal life do certain things, and the people that don't uh, do certain things don't end up with eternal life. And that's what Jesus says, and that is true, and that's true in the Old Testament, and New Testament. You know, your actions will be weighed. But is that all? Is that all the, 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 the difference there? Some people say, well, there's the difference. But there's something very different at the beginning of that story. There's something down at the deep cellular level of who they are, an identity. That happens before just doing those deeds. And it's whether they are a goat or a sheep. It's, it's like at the cellular DNA level who are you? Are you in Christ? Are you His? Are you His sheep? Is He your shepherd? Is He leading you beside still waters, laying you down in green pastures? Is He helping you through the walk through the valley of the shadow of death? Is He leading you? As Psalm 23 says, are you a sheep or are you a goat? See, there's a beginning there. There's a beginning of who you are. Something has happened in you, and the fruit follows. This is what people who are in Christ, who have his new nature, his new heart, his spirit in them do. You know what sheep do? They love other people, and they love them sacrificially. They give their life away. It's a fruit. Otherwise, you could just make it a list. Well, I've done that. I've visited the poor. I've done the sick, and now I'm saved. You're not saved. Works will never save you. And the Bible's clear about that. Yes, you have to be one of His before you can even do those things, whether you can even love that way. You have to be one of His to be able to love sacrificially. And that's what God wants to change. He wants to change your, your, your deep-down core heart motives. It's, 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 it's strange. It's like it's not enough to even try to do these things because you can be doing these things to feel good about yourself. Well, I did this. I did that. I'm better than this guy. I'm better than that guy. I'm good. I'm on my way. I'm doing good. I'm morally good. I'm morally superior. And there becomes this thing. I'm doing them. They're not. I'm better than them. Better than they. But grace never allows you to do that because like we, what we said in the very beginning is God says, I will do this. I will cleanse you. I will give you. You've only received any good that's in you. You've received it, so how can you boast in it? It's a free gift. How can you boast in what I give you? So God's saying you can't. But there's still the clear message that people who are sheep do these things, and they do them with great sacrificial love as they would be doing them to me myself. To Jesus, I'm doing these things. These. This is the nuance of what it means to be a Christian by grace, to actually have a new heart. To actually do things with a, a motive. And that's what Peter says. 2 Peter one four this new kind of new DNA. It says, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. That's what he's promised. I will give you a new heart. I will get, put my spirit within you. I will cleanse you from your idols. And he says, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. That's what you need. You need new birth. And you need this new life. And you need to, when you're doing Good deeds, you're doing them unto Jesus by the grace that he supplies. Not out of duty and not out of trying to earn your salvation, but because you are a sheep, you have real, real wool on you. You're a real sheep, not a pretend one. You have a new heart. You have this new DNA, this new divine nature that Peter's talking about, partakers of this divine nature. This is what God gives us when he gives us a new heart and he puts his spirit within us. Beautiful, isn't it? Ezekiel, come on, preach it, Ezekiel. Preach it to me, Ezekiel. Preach to me that there's hope in the midst of these situations. Preach it to me that God's going to do this work in me. Pour it out on me. Lavish your grace upon me. Give me your spirit. Put a new heart in me. Take out my resistant, rebellious heart that always loves darkness, that always goes after these false gods, that always tries to satisfy itself in these other things that the world offers me. And help me. Help me, Ezekiel. Help me in your word. And your word spoken through God to trust in your great divine grace. Because he says, I will remove from you. He'll do heart surgery. Your heart of stone give you a heart of flesh. I'll remove it. I'll remove that hardness. I'll make you a new creation in, in Christ Jesus. This is the hope of the future. You may be in a bad place right now along the, uh, on the, on the uh, Chebol Chib- Canal, but i got a place for you planned where I'm going to make you a new creation. I'm going to do an inside work on you, surgery that your rebellious, stony heart, I'm going to take it out. And when I speak my word to you of correction, about idols in your heart, you're going to feel that. You're going to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit now because I've given you a new heart. And you're not going to despise my reproof or reject my correction. You're going to respond to it. That's one of the reasons we try to make confession and repentance a big part of the order of our service is because this needs to stay in our heart. This isn't a one-time thing where we uh, you know, are constantly just uh, don't have, no longer have a need to repent. See, these were the, the people of God, but they had a need to repent, and they didn't. They had a stony heart, not tender, not responsive. The Bible defines it... In theological terms, it uses these words. They're words that help us categorize things, and it uses these words justify or justification. And so, when your sin is obliterated by Jesus' blood and He gives you that new heart and that new birth, that obliterates the sin, and you are declared like a judge, bringing down the gavel, innocent before God. Your sins are removed you're like, well, praise the Lord. That's all I need to do. But then the Bible begins to talk about this whole other term of sanctification, that God is still removing things from you. That means the work is not finished. Remember Philippians 1? He who began a good work in you, he promises to complete it. He promises to complete it. That means he's still doing a work in you, and there still needs to be a humble, tender heart that repents with sin. I mean, you guys still know that you struggle with sin, right? If you don't, uh, read your Bible, because it says that we still struggle with sin even as believers. Here's what Romans says; it's really encouraging. Chapter eight. We're far enough along into Romans now where we know that in Romans eight, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit, and they're walking after the Spirit. They're moving, They're in this place in the book of Romans, and it comes to verses eleven through thirteen. It says, "If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, isn't that a praise?" That same spirit of God that he's going to put within you, Ezekiel says, that's within you. He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. There's an eternal resurrection of your body coming, and he'll give life to it. He'll animate your life through his spirit. It's powerful. That's what he gives us with a new heart and his spirit within us. And then, verse 12, he says, So then, brothers... We are debtors not to the flesh, according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. That's what Ezekiel said. The soul that sins will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's that's a process thing. That's not just justification. You're justified. There's no condemnation in Christ. But now you know what you got to do? Put to death the deeds of the body. Those sinful desires. They're still there. That That interesting heart transplant is a transplant, but then he says, I will take like the stoniness, the stone heart out of you, and that seems to be like a process where he's breaking off idols in our heart, breaking them away, breaking them like, gosh, I think I have loved my wife more than God. I think maybe I've loved my family more than God. Those things are wrong. They're disordered loves. You can't have anything, even if it is a good thing, before the love of God. You've got to love him first and foremost. And no matter what it is, God will seek to take away those idols that we worship above him and put them in their proper perspective. He wants you to love your wife. He wants you. The Bible's all about up on that. The Bible's all about having a family and raising them well. But it is not all ab- about having that love before the love of God and not making it an idol in your heart. You will destroy yourself, and you will destroy those things you worship if you don't worship God first, and that's where our world is, and that's the danger of where a Christian become. We need to love God first and foremost. Can you shout amen? Amen. amen. Spurgeon said some really neat things on this particular text, and Ezekiel said it is a particular feature in our holy religion, the Christian religion, that it be, it begins its work within. It begins with a work within. doesn't begin with outward things. All other religions begin with steps. Buddhism, Hinduism, all the other religions. And and, and and it's infiltrated Christianity. It begins with you doing this. Well, to begin with, you have to do this. You have to come to church. You have to give so much money. You have to give this. You have to do that. And, that. and then, as you, you, know, you'll, you know, you'll get there. So it's corrupted everything, but infiltrated, because religion does that. It corrupts the gospel. It goes after the truth of the gospel. And Spurgeon's making it very clear here that the the, the particular feature of our religion, of our Christianity, is that it begins with the work within. begins with something God does supernaturally. He goes on to say, it acts first upon the heart. Other religions like that, even of Nicodemus and the Pharisees, begins with an outward work, outward forms, outward ceremonies, perhaps, perhaps hoping to work inwardly, to absorb inwardly into you from without. This is all other religions, Judaism include, Pharisees. He said, although that process... Never ends that way. It never works its way in from the outside. The cup and the platter is made clean, but the inside, this is what Jesus said, still remains dirty, remains full of rottenness. When John the Baptist looked at him and said, Your whitewashed sepulchre is full of dead men bones. You've never been, this is what Ezekiel says right after this, has a vision of the valley of dry bones. In Ezekiel 36, he has these bones in this valley that God shows him that come back to life supernaturally. Sinew comes back on in flesh, and then he breathes into them, and they come back to life. This is what we need. We need resurrection from the dead. We need a new heart, not be whitewashed sepulchers. We need a work from within. Spurgeon was articulate at bringing this out, and when he talked about the heart of stone, he said it's naturally a heart of stone, Naturally, your heart. You don't have to do anything to it. It rebels against God. It loves darkness. doesn't It's naturally that way. It is to become, by a work of divine grace, a heart of flesh. Hence, very much the result of regeneration and conversion will be found to lie in the production of a tender spirit. Here's the fruit of that. The fruit of that is a tender spirit that responds to God's correction that says you're in sin here, you're worshiping this above me, come to me and you go, ooh, I feel that. Ah, you have a new heart. It feels, it responds, it's tender to the Holy Spirit's conviction. This is the work, the supernatural work of God. So when we come to the cross, we come to the cross and we behold a bleeding Savior who's suffering, for the sins of his people. He wants you. He desires to bring you to himself, and he's willing to go to that depth. Think of the depth of it. Not just a simple, easy death, but a mocking death, a slow death, an asphyxiation death upon a cross, a body death, out of his love for you. And when you come to that cross, it breaks through that stoniness of our heart and it brings life. His Spirit breathes into us in the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Isaiah said it this way in Isaiah 55, 7. He said, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon, and he has in Jesus abundantly pardoned in Jesus Christ. So let us come to Him. Let us sing uh, as we take communion together and we sing this final hymn. Let us come to this Jesus who, through God's only Son, has abundantly pardoned His people and will continue to work on His people until He completes that work in us to conform us into the image of His own Son. Want to be conformed? You want to look like Jesus? That's what he's working towards you in. Yield to it. Humbly, tenderly yield to his conforming work in you, to conform you and mold you into the image of Jesus. Amen? Amen. We're going to take communion together. This may look like a little meal may look like a little cracker and a little grape juice up here but it is a feast it is a love feast that we take together remembering jesus remembering his body and his blood remembering his perfect life that he led as a man here on earth who died and shed his blood for our sins And the scriptures say that in the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks to the Father. Always acknowledging God, right? Every good gift comes from God above. Always giving thanks to the Father. He gives thanks to the Father and he says, this is my body given for you. Take and eat of it. Let us partake together. Thank you, Father, for the gift of your Son. Thank you that you desired a body, a man who would come down from heaven above that you would send in your very own Son, and he would perfectly satisfy your holy nature, your law, perfectly live out a life pleasing to you, as we heard from Peter today, who was that a perfect life and did not even have any deceit in his mouth, no lie in any of his words. We thank you for the perfect Jesus and how he took his perfect life and gave it for our sinful life (sighs) that we might become your righteousness, God, the righteousness of God in your Son. Thank you for, for him. Our praise, forever praise to Jesus, his perfect life. Amen. And we want to take the cup together in the same manner. He took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood given for you for the remission of sins. No matter what stain you have in your life, this has the power to wash it away. The imagery of the prophets is Isaiah, though they be as scarlet, red, stained, stains on your, inside you, in your heart, your belly's heart, I can go in and I can wash it away. I can take your sins and make them, though they be as scarlet, as white as snow, can remove any stain. This is the power of the blood of Jesus. This is the blood of the new covenant of grace. Let us partake together and remember Jesus. Father, we thank you for the blood of Christ, the cleansing power of the blood, the fountain that flows from the cross to wash us and cleanse us from our sin, all our unrighteousness, to remove those idols from our heart, God. We pray you continue to do that, Lord. Continue to reprove us. Continue to correct us, Lord. Continue to train us in righteousness and do all the things that your word knew in us through your spirit does to cleanse us and make us whole and complete the work that you began in us. You will do it, thus saith the Lord. Thank you for your prophets. Thank you for Ezekiel. Thank you for this word of the new covenant, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.